0: we're going to pray again after our sermon, but I want to spend some time talking to us this morning about prayer. And so, instead of Galatians, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 7, please. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to begin with verse 7 and read through verse 11. What do you know about Matthew 5 through 7? Matthew 5 through 7 are generally referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And what do you know about the Sermon on the Mount? The Sermon on the Mount is an extremely uh, intense section of Scripture, isn't it? Because... And you know, you can get into arguments about exactly why it's so intense. You can say, well, it, it ups the ante, it, 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 it adds in the new covenant uh, rules that the old covenant people didn't have to obey. That's not the view I take of it. I think that the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus showing us that God's never, ever, ever satisfied with shows of obedience that don't have the heart behind them. And so Jesus shows us what the nature of godliness is and And it becomes clear as you go through, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness because they will be filled. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Uh, You've heard it said, but I say to you, you've heard it said, uh, you know, uh, that you shall not murder. But I say to you that any man that looks, you know, that calls another man a fool or that curses him. And so every single thing it ups the ante. It says, "Yeah, you know, you're willing not to take out a knife and to stick it in, in in the gut of a man, but you call him a fool, you curse him when you're when he won't go at the four-way stop." And that that is who we are. And we listen to Jesus, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, we see. The standard of perfection. Much, much of the church in America today never ever sees the standard of, per, of perfection, never. They go to churches intentionally so that the standard will never be given to them. Uh, yes, they read the Sermon on the Mount, but you know you have to have preaching as well as reading, and never is God's standard laid out for us in a way that makes us despair because you think, well, the whole point of church is to be uplifting and encouraging. Well, yes, it is. But if your encouragement isn't Christ, it's no encouragement. If your encouragement is, hey, we're a lot better than we thought we were, <laughs> you know, that's not encouraging because we all know it's a lie, you know, we go home after church, right? Some of this doesn't even take going home, it just takes sort of standing up at the end of worship and we remember who we are, you know, at least for me, that's how I remember. So, Jesus tells us the nature of the holiness and the righteousness of God, Okay? And as he tells us the nature of this righteousness, it goes on and on and on and on. And you think, you know, Jesus, you know, would you just shut up? This is more than I can bear. It was very interesting. I had a man in, in my prior church in this community, ECC, who was a professor of astronomy. And uh, he had been trained at Harvard. He was a very sophisticated man. He would He'd uh, invented a machine that was critical in the dating of the universe and how far away stars are. Um, And the man was a skeptic. He had a very godly wife. And every single Sunday, we were very close to them. They came over a lot, and every single Sunday as he'd leave, um, he'd go out the door and he'd stop and he'd... That's how he'd talk. He was retired, but he was still highly respected. And so if I had read a Scripture, like for instance, a Scripture that, that said, for instance, that, that the sun stood still. Well, he'd give me a long, long lecture on the fact that the sun can't stand still. I mean, I can see how it would look that way to somebody, but if you look at it, it's the fact that the earth stood still, but that's laughable because then we'd be able to trace back. to that. You know, some of you know Jimmy, and you're laughing. All right. Um, and, you know, his favorite thing was to tell us how fast we were traveling. He had all these calculations in his brain about the orbit of the Earth in, in the universe, about the, the circle rotation, about, you know, da 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 I was reminded of his wife this week when Taylor had to get up for some early morning uh, fall equinox or whatever. Is that what it was called? Or am I saying that wrong? Summer equinox? Okay, and it, like it's the day when. I, I never understood when Rita would tell me. I still don't understand, but I know Rita would have told me this week that that's the week it was. Tremendous collector of facts, but the theme was always unbelief. Of whatever Scripture said, the theme was unbelief with with this man. And his wife had believed that she had a word from God that he would answer her prayer and that he would be a believer before he died. And I'd often listen to Rita telling me this and I'd think, Rita, I hope you're right. (laughs) But I'm not sure you are. uh, Because his hardness of heart and unbelief was so intense. The most despairing day I ever had was the day where I was beginning to preach on the Sermon on the Mount and I came to uh, the first sermon and... What I did that Sunday was I simply read the Sermon on the Mount from beginning to end, making no comment. And when he left that day, he was in full form, and he was more negative and more critical and more cynical than any Sunday I'd ever seen him. And he just oozed uh, venom towards the Word of God. I forget what he actually said. But I thought, how striking that the Sunday where my words are fewest, I don't say anything. I simply read Jesus' words. That's when this man comes out at his most vile, you know. Well, why would he come out at his most vile? Yes, because I'm not saying anything, but because the Sermon on the Mount will produce poison if you have a hard heart, you know, because it is the standard of God, um, If you don't forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. And it just goes on and on and on. Now, the text we're going to read comes at the very end of this. We go into prayer. We've had the standard of righteousness given to us by our Lord in this sermon. Now we come to prayer. It's not accidental, do you think? That Jesus brings us, as he begins to conclude this sermon, he brings us to prayer. Doesn't that make sense? Your father lays out for you what the standard of the home is. The more you hear, the more you despair of the standard of the home. And finally, you're reduced to, okay, so what? You know, I know myself, you know me, so what, what are we going to do now, dad? And then dad says to you, what? Ask and seek. And knock. Now, let's read it together. It's the book of Matthew, the 7th chapter, verses 7 to 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. And about that time, we're sort of cynical and we go, yeah, right. Then he says this, he says, "Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And so, Father, we ask you now to give us the good gift of understanding of this word and belief that it is true. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus here is encouraging his disciples who are listening to his sermon. He's encouraging them to pray. He commands them, not just encourages them, but commands them to ask God for the things that they need. He commands them to ask. We're to take our concerns, our needs, our desires, our hungers, whatever it is that there is in this life, we're to take it to the Lord. Um, Maybe if we didn't have a habit of praying before dinner, we wouldn't do it. But it's good, as we begin to eat, to thank Him for our food. If there's anything that we would be confident that we could simply do on our own, it would be eating, right? Because there's so much food in America, and it's so, so, so cheap. (laughs) And yet, when we eat, we have a disciplined habit of realizing and reminding ourselves and thanking God for that food, remembering that He's the one that gives it to us. Everything that we need, we are to go to Him for. It's as if Jesus is saying to us here, come, talk to me, tell me what's on your mind, share your thoughts and desires with me, tell me what you need, ask me to help you, don't carry things yourself. In Ezekiel 36, verse 37, thus says the Lord God, this also, and here's the interesting part, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. I will let them ask me to do for them. It's kind of interesting to think of God allowing us, I'll let them ask me, you know. I will increase their men like a flock. So we're allowed to ask, indeed we're commanded to ask the mighty God for what I need. And this is a privilege, I'll let them do this. And it's a privilege. Second, having commanded his disciples to ask, he next commands his disciples to seek. Now what's the difference between asking and seeking? Well, you can ask sitting down, can't you? But you can't seek sitting down. You've got to get up and move, right? And right there we go. Oh, yeah. Duty. You know? Okay, chill out. Would you really want God to give you everything as you laid back in your lazy boy with your feet up? And even if you would, you're perverse. That's not the way God's ordained anything. You have to seek. A man has to seek a wife. Okay. Ask and then seek. And by commanding us to seek, Jesus is encouraging us to go beyond simple requests and to be persistent. You understand that. You get up and you're persistent. To not seek means that we're not persistent. And that we don't know where to go to have our needs met. Jesus says that we are to seek, and that our source is God. And so, if we need food, yeah, we're to go out and plant, but we're to ask the Lord. He has to provide the water, He has to provide the seed. He has to provide the farm, the, the land. He has to provide the sunshine. He has to, to provide a good time to harvest. You know, if you've ever lived around a farm, you know that there are some years where everything is done properly until it comes time for the harvest, and then you can never get the crop off the land. You can never get it off. Because God has not provided the weather to get it off. So we have to seek we are to go to him to, with persistence. And seeking is an act that's beyond the simple request. In Luke 13, you remember that the tree is not bearing fruit. And the vine vineyard keeper says he's going to cut it down. He says, behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And the vineyard worker answers and says to him, verse 8, let it alone, sir, for this year too, until what? Until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. All right. Without faith it is impossible to please God, for it says in Hebrews eleven six, he who comes to God must believe that he is and what? That He is He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. And what a privilege it is as a pastor to see you seeking God. I get to see it probably as as well as any of you. And uh, to see you as you seek God and you desire God, it's such a beautiful thing because you know that God will answer. All right, ask and then seek and then what? Knock. Okay, ask and seek and knock. With this command to knock, Jesus is leading us to turn to him, asking him to open the closed gate, the locked door and the barred entryway. We are to knock, seeking from God entry to those places which we are not able to gain entry to on our own. It's very interesting that uh, the process of becoming a believer is both knocking and being knocked upon. Because if you think of in, in the book of Revelation, it says what? It says, Behold, I stand at the door, and what? And knock. So Jesus knocks, and he commands us to knock. And listen, if you haven't tried it, that's a joke. Don't knock it. <laughs> All right. Okay. Jesus says, <laughs> thank you, Bob. <laughs> I heard Bob's grunt of approval, and so I don't care what the rest of you think. Okay. Remember, I talked about the allegorical interpretation of Scripture, and the book that is most susceptible to that interpretation is what book? Song of Solomon. Alright? Here's Matthew Henry, all right, Protestant all the way, directing us to go to a certain place in the book of Song of Solomon to understand this command to not. It says about the bridegroom, he says, I was. Asleep, but my heart was awake, a voice, my beloved, was knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is drenched with dew, my locks with the damp of the night. Now, come on, we all understand that, right? Right? Well, this is a picture of our relationship with Jesus Christ, where our beloved comes to us in the night. And knocks, and we're ready. And he is saying, not only that he knocks, but he is saying to us that we are to knock, and is he ready? Jesus says in Revelation 3:20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in into him and will dine with him and he with me. So this would teach us to ask God to open the door of the kingdom of heaven to us. And that's the first door we go through. But we don't just go to God seeking entry to the kingdom of heaven. We seek from God every good thing that the kingdom of heaven entails. We seek from God sexual purity as young men struggling. We seek from God financial provision for our church and for our homes. We seek from God... Wives and husbands for our precious children who will lead them in godliness and not destroy them. What do we seek from God? We seek absolutely everything from him. The Philippian jailer cried out to Paul and Silas. Remember, sirs, what must I do to be saved? The tax collector lifted up his eyes and said what? He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then you remember on the cross at the very end of his life, surrounded by two thieves. One of the thieves made fun of Jesus. The other one was shocked by his godlessness at that moment as he faced death. And he said what? He said, Lord, what? He said what? He said, Lord, a very simple prayer. Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said... In a few thousand years, when the millennium comes, now Jesus said, what? This day, you will be with me in paradise. This day. And so don't fear death. That day, if you're a truster in Jesus, you will be with him in paradise. So Jesus' command is to ask and to seek and to knock. But we're not left only with commands, we're left with an encouragement to do the commands. And that's often the way it is with Jesus. Jesus will warn us and then Jesus will give us encouragement. Or Jesus will give us encouragement and then he'll give us warning. Here it comes, the command and then the encouragement. Now what is the encouragement? Well the encouragement is simply the nature of human fatherhood. And we don't have any trouble understanding the encouragement in this text. Because we've had dads, and even the worst of our dads, okay, even the worst of our dads had a basic inclination to give to us, didn't they? Often to our own destruction. (laughs) You know? What son, if his father comes to him and asks for a snake, will give him a snake? Jesus didn't say that, but just for a second, imagine that that was what Jesus had said. You know, so many fathers are so inclined to give to their children that if the son asks for a stone, he'll give him a stone. If he asks for a snake, he'll give him a snake. You know? You understand what I'm saying. Well, fathers, even the most evil of fathers, will give good gifts to their children, even if it's only to get them off their back. You know? Would you get out of here? What do you want? Okay, take the keys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on, go on. You know? Jesus says, what father if will give him a stone, will give him a snake, all right? Jesus says, if you then being, and he's speaking to his disciples, he says, if you then being what? Evil. Don't ever believe those who tell you that the human heart is basically good. We have God himself coming, taking on flesh, and in an incidental story where he's encouraging us, he says this parenthetical statement, if you then being evil... all right." In other words, it's just taken for granted that what we are is evil. You say, oh yes, but not in Christ. That's right, because what? Because you've changed? In one way, yeah, but in another way, no. Because you're dressed in the righteousness of Christ. So it's still true if you then being evil. All right. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. you ever gone into a restaurant, had something happen to you, and you'll never go back? I won't name the places, but I have a few places like that. One is a franchise. And uh, you go in and you ask for bread, and they give you what? A stone. <laughs> right? Have you ever had this joy of anticipation of chicken broth soup. And you put the spoon in your mouth, you bite down on what are supposed to be the softest things in the world, namely noodles. And and there's a bone. Not my wife, but one woman who I've eaten many of her meals had a habit. I never ever had chicken soup, but I got bones. And so to this day, I don't ever trust chicken soup. Because I'm sure I'm going to get a bone. Now, it's one thing to have chicken soup have a bone in it, because bones will yield to your teeth. But have you ever eaten rabbit? I once had rabbit. I'll never eat it again if I know what I'm doing. Why? Because when I ate rabbit, I bit down on what? A pellet. A shotgun pellet. And that's not fun. Have you ever bitten on a real stone? That's enough to turn you off forever. Have you ever felt that going to God for your needs, you ended up biting on a stone? Yeah, you have, haven't you? The thing is, uh, it's the nature of God that what you think is a stone is actually the best T-bone steak. I'm a man. The best T-bone steak you've ever had. And so you have to trust God that sometimes your taste buds, sometimes the grit in your teeth are going to tell you that when you ask God for a a loaf of bread that he did give you a stone. But he hasn't. Because why? Well, because your father might do that. I remember the time we had a real dear friend and I always reserve my insults and pain for my friends. And we had a good roast and so at our home, every time we have a roast, we have horseradish. Horseradish. And we don't buy any of that cheesy, creamy horseradish. We have the real McCoy. All right. And so the roast got passed and it's time for the horseradish. And she's sitting next to me and uh, she looked at this little saucer with nondescript crud in it looked like oatmeal or something. And she said, what's this? And I said, oh, you've never had horseradish. She said, no. So I took my teaspoon, put it down in the horseradish. Filled it full of horseradish. And I said, well, here, try it. And she opened her mouth and I shoved it in and her head just about exploded. Now, I wouldn't have done that to her if she wasn't a blonde. But she was a blonde. And so um, I thought she deserved that experience. Her name is Michelle Ernst. And she still loves me. And I don't regret having done it. It was so much fun. (laughs) Now, that's me being evil. But God is never evil. God never, ever gives to his children things that are evil. God gives us good gifts. And Jesus tells us to come to him. He tells us. To ask and to seek and to knock. Matthew Henry has a very good comment about the knocking. He says, if you go to a friend's house and knock on the door and the friend doesn't answer immediately, he says it's rude if you walk away. you ever been frustrated by that? You're up in the bedroom, somebody knocks, and you can't get down there in two seconds. There's it, it something you have to finish, you're, you're not dressed, something. You get down there, you open the door, and they're gone. You know, it's not polite, is it? And so we have to be subject to God's timetable and when he does come to the door and answer it. In fact, it's the nature of prayer that we have to listen to the qualifications that God puts on prayer. Do you understand this? Now, just think with me for a second. What are the qualifications that God puts on prayer? I already gave you one this morning. What is it? I I, I specifically quoted it from the Sermon on the Mount to you. What was it? Uh, If you were my family, I'd go, duh! (laughs) I won't do that to you, though, because it's the congregation. (laughs) Okay, come on, what was it? It says... Jesus said, he put this qualification on prayer, he said, if you what? Huh? That's right, good job, Lauren. He says, if you do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. Now, that's a pretty heavy-duty qualification, isn't it? Who, think of the person... And you're to forgive them. Have you forgiven them? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Okay? What are some other qualifications? Well, you know in James that it says that we are to ask doing what? With faith. Is this your God and do you trust him? Are you asking in faith or are you asking in unbelief? All right. there are many qualifications but they're not qualifications that overwhelm you every single time that God puts qualifications on he then goes on and gives us an encouragement to come to him like for instance in James it says "You know, we're to come in faith, we're not to be double minded but it also says that he gives wisdom to those who ask without what? without finding fault <laughs> not like your dad Well, you remember what happened last week? So I want to encourage us this morning as a congregation to come to the Lord, asking, seeking, and knocking. And to believe that He will give us what we desire. Here is what... um, And you, you know that I am a prod, which is the Roman Catholic term shortened term for a Protestant. And so I always like to remind us that we don't live in a vacuum, that many, many faithful women and men in the past have walked where we walk and have sent us encouragements across the centuries. Here's what, here's what Calvin says. He says, Nothing is better adapted to excite us to prayer than a full conviction that we shall be heard. All right? Then here's Luther. Luther says about this, he says, God knows that we're timid and shy and that we feel unworthy and unfit to present our needs to Him. We think that God is so great and we're so tiny that we don't dare to pray. That's why Christ wants to lure us away from such timid thoughts to remove our doubts and to have us go ahead and confidently and boldly pray. So can you live with that? James 4.2 two. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. Let us pray.